Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 6th, 2014. Over the years, on various radio broadcasts, I mentioned many times the techniques used on mind control. Mind control is a very prevalent thing, more so today than ever before, but it's always been used in some form or another down to the ages and I've gone into even the ancient religions, very ancient religions, and how they knew back then, uh, working with the monarch, uh, how they could control the public and give them the correct views of seeing their world by altering their perceptions of everything. Really, the whys things happen were suddenly changed into religious uh, viewpoints, and by that method you control them because... By putting in taboos, along with the perception and distortions, uh, you could get them to behave in certain ways and never rebel and so on. Very common thing down through the ages that advisors to kings and, of course, now to governments have used to make sure that people are raised properly for control purposes. Today, as I say, it's, 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 so, it's all pervasive today. It's all over the place, and it starts with your education too. That was one of the primary reasons, by the way, that governments got into uh, mandatory education. Uh, you can't get uh, uh, your subsequent propaganda to be instilled properly unless you get the basics instilled at early schooling. So it's it's all around us today. It's in movies, uh, it's in novels. I've gone over this so many times, how novelists are even paid to insert the, the new updates, the politically correct ideas and beliefs and ways of looking at certain things in their novels. You get paid extra by the Department of Cultures, and uh, every government has a Department of Culture uh, run by the government. I've also talked about, even a few years ago, when voice to skull was used electronically in New York City. I read the article as it was printed a few years back, where they were installing these particular instruments on towers in New York, and uh, they could, as people were passing by certain stores, they could beam into your head, and you would hear it audibly, uh, go into the store and buy whatever it happens to be. Uh, that was supposedly a test at the, at the time to see how the public would react. But remember, too, that nothing happens on that scale without government involvement because everything is licensed, including anybody else coming in to put mind control over on the public has to be authorized by the government. So the government and the military-industrial complex would be involved in these experiments as well. They always have been, of course, naturally. We find with Wi-Fi today and uh, with uh, uh, the microwave uh, through all the air, basically, today, so many different frequencies that it can not old, old, only alter the way that we think or even how we're th- or even if we can think at all. In fact, they can switch you off, but uh, they can also alter you biochemically as well very easily by specific frequencies that are targeted at certain cells on their frequencies in the human body. But uh, people think that all this is happening today. Now, a great trick of media, and even all the so-called fad, the the fad, whatever fad you're into, whether it's popular mechanics or popular engineering or whatever it happens to be, popular electronics, uh, you think they're all out there to give you the latest, the latest, the latest, and that's how it's presented to you. Nothing is further from the truth. Whatever you're allowed to know was always done first for the military boys, the industrial complex boys, and 
what you've got afterwards is spin-offs. Often many, many, sometimes 20, 30, 40 years later, the public are given some of the spin-offs. But it's, it's always presented as though they're just now experimenting on this particular, in this particular field. Nothing can be further from the truth. Always remember that. So the idea is to make you believe that you're on the cutting edge and your era, your time, your generation of all there is to know. That's the first step. That's the first big lie uh, to do with mind control. And that's what mind control is, making you believe that. And that's why it's harder, of course, to, to get through to those involved in academia, because even many of those professors have no idea that all they've learned is really obsolete in various fields, very obsolete. And, and you'll never get that through their heads. Now, some eventually break through and understand what I've just told you, that they have been conned, and they get, they'd rather uh, despise it. But if they often break through, then those who are watching them bring them up to a higher level and into the, the more secretive areas of things too. Then they're allowed into archives, real archives, not the ones that you may get access to. And uh, they're given more pertinent information depending on their classification. I've read from various authors over the past, and that idea, I've got many up-to-date things as far as we're allowed to know. I've given a lot of information to, from modern times, but it will definitely not be the latest by any long shot. But it's good to understand, and it's really imperative to understand how old these tricks are. And once in a while we get authors who are authorized to come out and tell really their own class by published books certain information that uh, they can then use again in their own particular fields over on the general public. But uh, it's interesting to get some of them, and I've mentioned Aldous Huxley, who classified himself, along with his brother Gillian, as part of the scientific elite. There's a financial elite at the, near the top, then there's a scientific elite, and that also involves those higher professors in academia, some of them, not all of them. In fact, a minority of them really, the rest of them know what they're supposed to do in a PC fashion to get advancement in that field, and so they don't rock the boat. How you get promotion in this world is by not asking questions, and really what questions definitely not to ask. The same in politics. When the person runs and they get into politics for the first time, they, they listen a lot, they agree with everyone who talks to them, their superiors, etc., but they never ask certain questions because that's how you get advancement. It's very much like Freemasonry. You never question an order from above. You simply obey it without question. So that's how things really work in this world. But tonight I'll talk about, from Brave New Worlds, revisited the non-fiction version where uh, Huxley, I think in 1959 he wrote that one, when he, when he went over his book, he revised his book, uh, from 1933, the fictional version of how the future would be to do with people who were completely controlled by governmental forces, by agencies that they would never know about or even understand. Uh, that's pretty well here today. But uh, in, in, in 59, he talked about how things would come in. And it's good to read these books because he shows you how old some of these sciences really are and how, how their updating of understanding of these sciences change along the way with certain people uh, doing experimentation on the public. And you'll find on Brave New World Revisited, he, he talks about um, a particular Dr. Potzel, 
He calls him P-O-T-Z-L. He says, Dr. Pozzo, an Austrian neurologist who recently published a paper describing experiments with the tachystoscope, funny name, as he said, an instrument that comes in two forms, a viewing box into which the subject looks. You see them in very old movies, how they would put these things over, kind of like binoculars over their face, and they would see uh, images. But this particular type of, of, of viewer uh, gave them a, a fraction of a second uh, on each view, you see. So they were trying that back then, like the subliminal experimentation. And so every advancement in science, remember, is immediately put used to for control purposes. Always remember that. So they, first they came out with uh, uh, forms of, of viewing scopes. And then, then of course, you had... Um, uh, immediately they have this uh, tachystoscope, they called it, an instrument that comes in two for the viewing box, which you look at for a small fraction of a second, or a magic lantern. That was their name for uh, the early the early pictures. You at the picture house, and they would show you uh, really the images on a screen, basically, like a projector, which is a high-speed shutter capable of projecting an image very briefly upon a screen. In the experiments, Pozzo required the subjects to make a drawing of what they'd consciously noted of a picture exposed to their view in, in, in the scope. He then turned his attention to the dream, dreams dreamed by their subjects during the following nights. In most dreams, that's really where dreams come from. It's your, it's your present life, and it goes into the, to the subconscious, in the, what they call the great unconscious, that the, when you're sleeping, this mass of knowledge of all kinds stored back there, and it gets mushed around and so on, and you get these dreams. But, um, and often you don't know what the dreams are, or you'll, or you'll give them a magical significance. But in reality, it, it, it's how your subconscious will interpret all the mass in this big sea turmoil of the, of the complete unconscious, where everything uh, is um, stored. Uh, but he says here that uh, he turns attention to dreams dreamed by the subjects during the following nights. It was shown unmistakably that those details of the exposed picture what had not been noted by the subject as consciously provide uh, material for the construction of the dream. So all the little bits of the pictures that we're seeing for a split second on, on the, they say the perimeters of the main images you're looking at all have an effect on you. Where you, you know whether or not. That's why high definition, by the way, is so important for control, because uh, you're getting a lot of subliminals through all of the, the background stuff in very clear detail, uh, even though you consciously you won't remember it at the time. Now remember that that Pozzo's experiments were in 1919 that this was done. And it says that these experiments have been repeated several times, uh, and it goes through the different uh, people who've, who've uh, experimented with them. Uh, Dr. Charles Fisher, uh, who contributed three excellent papers on the subject of dreams and preconscious perception, is called, to the Journal of the American Psychoanalytic Association. And that's why the psychoanalysis really came up and big money went into, again, by uh, governmental forces, massive grants and so on to study because they understood that they could use techniques. Anything that could give them more control over the public was vitally important to those in power who want control, more and more control. But what it says is, confirming Potzel's findings, their studies have shown that people actually see and hear a great deal more than they consciously know they see and hear, and that what they see and hear without knowing it is recorded by the conscious mind and subconscious mind and may affect their conscious thoughts, feelings, and behavior. 
Pure science does not remain pure indefinitely, he says. Sooner or later it is apt to turn into applied science and finally into technology. Theory modulates into industrial practice. Knowledge becomes power. Formulas and laboratory experiments undergo metamorphosis and emerge as the H-bomb. Everything comes from theory. In the present case, Potzl's nice little piece of pure science and all the other nice little pieces of pure science in the field of pre-conscious perception retained their pristine purity for a surprisingly long time. Then the early autumn of 1957, exactly 40 years after the publication of Potzl's original paper, it was announced that their purity was a thing of the past. They'd been applied, uh, they had entered the realm of technology. The announcement made a considerable stir and was talked and written about all over the civilized world. And no wonder, for the new technique of subliminal projection, as it was called, was intimately associated with mass entertainment and the life of civilized human beings. Mass entertainment now plays a part comparable to that played in the Middle Ages by religion. In the Middle Ages, religion uh, put on, and in fact, that was almost all the entertainment you could have as, as traveling licensed troops went round village to village, town to town, uh, and they were given a charter by the king or queen, uh, and they would put on passion plays to make sure that religion was foremost, and all morality that spun off from the, from the play was applied to the general public, and hopefully, and, and generally it worked, they would incorporate uh, that behavior of the play into their own personal behavior and their morality, etc. That's why the more sex to push today, of course, is incredible. It's everywhere. You can't watch anything without it. Uh, the more people will emulate that and a fear skyrocket and everything else does too and marriages get dissolved. It's all done in a weaponized fashion. And it's very perfect today. It's perfected. I've also gone into Edward Bernays in pretty good detail over the years where he was given authority by governments. And he worked with many U.S. presidents he lived a very long life, and he was brought in all the time. He, he gave you the, the Consumer Society for Americans. He changed the habits of Americans, how they used their money, spent their money, what they just had to have. He told them what they just had to have, and he put the methods across, which actually worked very well with them. Go in to smoke and even drink certain booze and all the rest of it. It was all uh, done through the applied psychology, and you might call it behavioral psychology. And, and adding to it a lot of sex appeal, etc., etc. But uh, he also used uh, his methods to get people into World War One in the U.S. And it wasn't until about 15 years after the end of World War One that he and some others wrote a book. It came out that boasted of how they'd, they'd basically fooled the whole people into being pro-war, when before that they were all against having the, the war in the first place. Now Huxley goes into the age of television and movies and so on. He says, in, the age, in such an age, the announcement that Pozzo's pure science had been applied in the form of a technique of subliminal projection could not fail to rouse the most intense interest amongst the world's mass entertainees. He, he also includes government too later on in the book. So for the new technique was aimed directly at them, and its purpose was to manipulate their minds without their being aware of what was being done to them. And that's so important, you're not aware of what's being done to you, especially in entertainment. You see, that's why a lot of political correct updates, just like a computer, are put across to your brain uh, in methods of entertainment, where your guard is down. It says here that uh, by means of specially designed tachistoscopes, 
world, words or images were to be flashed for a millisecond or less upon the screens of television sets and motion picture theatres during and not before or after the programme. And they put across things like drink Coca-Cola or light up the camel, tell us a smoke, uh, would be superimposed upon the lover's embrace, uh, the tears of the broken-hearted mother, and the optic nerves of the viewers would record these secret messages. Their subconscious minds would respond to them, and in due course, they would constantly feel a craving for soda pop and tobacco. And meanwhile, other secret messages would be whispered uh, too softly or squeaked too shrilly for conscious hearing. And you'll find that too, even uh, if you study the old movies, for instance, there are a shrill um, sound that came across them. When the screaming was on and there was a lot of fast talking going on in a high-pitched uh, vein, you, you think you're missing certain things, but you're not really. Uh, other things are being flashed across in those particular times during those particular old movies when you study them. And then he goes on to say, uh, in Britain, where the process of manipulating minds below the level of consciousness is known as strobonic injection, Britain's way ahead of other countries because, as I mentioned before, it was important to use religion to modify the behavior of the general public, to, which allows them to be manipulated and controlled. That's the purpose of it by uh, the authorities. And religion worked together with uh, the kings and queens, you see who all wanted the same thing, which was power over the public and control and peace. And that's still the same today. Uh, they want The governments definitely want more and more peace, but now they're trying to edge out religion. In Britain, that was solved, that problem, by merging the head of the Church of England with the, the monarch, who also was in control of government. That was the idea behind it. So Britain was way ahead of other countries for centuries. But anyway, it says... It's known as strabonic injection. Investigators have stressed the practical importance of creating the right psychological conditions for the subconscious persuasion. A suggestion above the threshold of awareness is more likely to take effect when the recipient is in a light hypnotic trance under the influence of certain drugs or has been debilitated by illness, starvation, or any kind of physical or emotional stress. But what's true for suggestions above the threshold of consciousness is also true for suggestions beneath that threshold. In a word, the lower the level of a person's psychological resistance, the greater will be the effectiveness of strabonically injected suggestions. The scientific dictator of tomorrow will set up his whispering machines and subliminal projections in, or projectors in schools and hospitals, children and the sick are highly suggestible, and in all places, or public places where the audiences can be given a preliminary softening up by suggestibility, increasing oratory or rituals. Now, it's fascinating to, to, to see this. The techniques today are beyond all of this because they can actually do it, say, by frequency manipulation. They know exactly how the frequency within the brain uh, and how it works in an average person, the certain, the certain frequency range, very, very small range. And so pretty well everyone can be uh, affected by it. It's quite simple. And now that we're all in this big massive field that guys like Persinger, Professor Persinger, talk about today, who thinks it's all wonderful for control purposes, uh, then you can see how governments are incredibly interested in this. And don't forget the military-industrial complex. Uh, we're living in a feudal system today. It's a new feudal system. Uh, where uh, corporations are really the, the bosses, as they say, at least the, what you think are the bosses. Above them, of course, are the guys who manage all the money, 
uh, because money runs everything in the system. I don't care what it is. So at the very top of the tree, you have a few families involved in the lending and the collecting of cash. But anyway, suggestibility is very important in your, your pre pre-preparation, your preparation really uh, for indoctrination. In other words, if you're brought up in a certain mindset, no matter what religion you're in, uh, you'll always try to, whatever information is fed to you is filtered and uh, to, to then agree with your under, present understanding via the religion uh, that you get it through. If you believe in uh, evolution, you'll also alter it to, 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 to fit your beliefs in evolution. You're, you're, you're already prepared, that's an important part, in how to accept something for yourself uh, so as you can have uh, a mental, personal mental stability for you. Anything that shocks that mental uh, uh, um, level for you, that, that happiness level, will really upset you. Uh, so therefore, you, 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 we avoid pain and seek pleasure. That's something else in the, in the present generation, especially, that we've been taught that happiness is best all the time, if you can get it. Uh, and so we, we head for happiness all the time, which is a false way of living. It's impossible to really be happy all the time, unless you are on drugs all the time, or, and, or you're being manipulated constantly by certain frequencies just for you. So, so uh, again, this fake happiness thing, was pushed out by Freud and so on. Uh, get the person cured. It means getting you back into society, working in the society that broke you down in the first place. Work like crazy, uh, spend your money and to be happy, have lots of sex, and supposedly you're cured, which is nonsense. I should mention too, as I've mentioned already actually, that if you're already prepared for something, or you're already in the fad or the lane for the particular event you're going to see, or watch, or listen to, whatever it happens to be, or you're sitting at home, you're already prepared for, for your particular uh, hobby or, or, or belief or whatever it happens to be, you're, you're prepared to believe a lot more by very slick salespeople. And you'll find them, I mean, especially in, say, the Protestant religions, where uh, you're, you're geared towards the belief, and the, 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 if you want to make money, and you're awfully good, and an extrovert too, you can, you can get yourself into televangelism, incredibly lucrative, especially in the U.S. Uh, the, the audience is already there for you. They're prepared for you. You learn all the buzzwords and, and the praise God and hallelujah, etc., etc. And you, you learn the body language, how to put body language across very successfully, like any um, performer, in fact, stage performer, get the lighting properly done. And the, the, these guys in televangelist shows, the traveling ones too, have incredible uh, Hollywood lighting uh, experts come on and sound guys. And, and, and the music comes in at a certain point and so on. The motions are already heightened and uh, it works perfectly well. It's fantastic. Politicians wish they could have this method too, but we still tend to be a bit more on the lookout for politicians, etc. But and then other folk are already geared for them, especially in the U.S., more than any other country, when they see the symbols. Symbols are important too, remember, for getting ideas across. And when they use the right symbols of their country in political races, etc., they get all excited as though it was a real, like a boxing match or a football match, and uh, it works perfectly well too for this like, uh, trained uh, con man. I should mention, too, that guys like Cass Sunstein uh, have uh, been heavily uh, used on, on uh, secretive panels working against what they call uh, the counter-movements uh, in the U.S. to 
to infiltrate and even use them and even create new ones. In fact, for many years, even before he came along, there were, there were activists that U.S. government uh, diffused things, uh, lead, say, the patriot movements often to sidelines and always get them to vote for the next person that comes along because the U.S. are more geared towards voting and for the right guy who says the right things at the time. Of course, they do something completely different once they're in office, but it doesn't matter. So you can, it's a safety valve, less off the steam, by saying all the right things. That's what politicians always know. They get the feel of the public. They, they listen to the gossip in the bars and the restaurants. And today, of course, they have it all at their fingertips with the internet. They know what's happening in the public domain. And they, they simply repeat it. I feel your pain, etc. And and they, they voice it during election time. And it's the same with uh, those who, who are in the counter-movements. They're infiltrated, and, and many of them actually were started up by those in control to make sure the counter-movement goes off in uh, a diffused uh, direction, basically. Always remember that. So if you're predisposed to something already, don't be fooled by someone coming along saying the right things. Uh, it's the little things that don't make sense that you have to take note of. That's so important. That's so important. Uh, and if you go into the bizarre or the fanciful, uh, then be very, very careful. Now remember, two ritualistic movements and, and parades, etc., are very, very important too for this. Same with rock concerts, open-air ones, where you see them going crazy, etc. Easy to manipulate mass audiences. And I went to that. I went to that last week or the week before on the kind of mass movements and how to control the masses, the crowd, etc., and how you lose your individuality by being part of the crowd. So he's on to say here, from the conditions under which we may expect subliminal suggestion to be effective, we now pass the suggestions themselves. What terms should be should the propagandist address himself to the, his victims' subconscious minds? Direct com- commands such as buy popcorn or vote for whoever, and unqualified statements like socialism stinks or X's toothpaste cures halitosis are likely to take effect only upon those minds that are already partial to, to the, the popcorn, etc., already alive to the dangers of body odors and the public ownership of the means of production. But to strengthen existing faith is not enough. The propagandist, if he is worth his salt, must create new faith, must know or know uh, how to bring the indifferent and the undecided over to his side. That's awfully important to understand that, because you can get news and you don't even know it. So if you're undecided or, or indifferent to it, you can be conned into going along with it. He must be able to mollify and perhaps even to convert the hostile. To subliminal assertion and command, he knows that he must add subliminal persuasion. Above the threshold of awareness, one of the most effective methods of non-rational persuasion is what may be called persuasion by association. The propagandist arbitrarily associates his chosen product, candidate, or cause with some idea, some image of a person or thing, which most people in a given, a given culture is more, most important because different cultures vary. In a given culture, so the right symbology there, and, and there's by, by verbal uh, speech, uh, or, or it can be through pictures or symbols. And a lot of symbology is used today. Again, especially in the U.S., where they've had far more indoctrination into the, the, the nation, the nation, the nation, than other countries that, that gave it all up a long time ago because they went through so many wars uh, from the 1700s or even before that onwards. 
In a given culture, unquestionably, the the guard is good. And, of course, even where a country is not good anymore, uh, the image still stays in their mind that it is good, especially when it's repeated over and over by people in authority. Thus, in a selling campaign, female beauty may be arbitrarily associated with uh, anything from a bulldozer, and it's true they sell anything, uh, cars, everything with uh, female beauty, to a, diure- to a diuretic. In a political campaign, patriotism may be associated with any cause from apartheid to integration, and with any kind of person from a Mahatma Gandhi to a Senator McCarthy. Years ago, a central in Central America, it says, I observed an example of persuasion by association which filled me with an appalled admiration for the men who devised it. In the mountains of Guatemala, the only imported artworks are the colored calendars distributed free of charge by the foreign companies whose products are sold to the Indians. The American calendar showed pictures of dogs, of landscapes, of young women in a state of partial nudity. But to the Indian who lived there uh, in the country, dogs are merely utilitarian objects, landscapes, what he sees only too much of every day of his life. And half-naked blondes are uninteresting, perhaps a little even repulsive. American calendars were, in a consequence, far less popular than German calendars, for the German advertisers had taken the trouble to find out what the Indians valued and were interested in. I remember a particular one masterpiece of commercial propaganda. It was a calendar put out by a manufacturer of aspirin. At the bottom of the picture, one saw the familiar trademark on the familiar bottle of white tablets. Above it were no uh, snow scenes of or autumnal woods, uh, no cocker spaniels, or boss, uh, uh, bosomy chorus girls. No, the, the wily Germans associate the pain relievers with a brightly coloured and extremely lifelike picture of the Holy Trinity sitting on a, a cumulus cloud and surrounded by St. Joseph, the Virgin Mary, assorted saints and a large number of angels. The miraculous virtues of acetyl salicylic acid uh, were thus guaranteed. And the Indians simple and deeply religious minds by God the Father and the entire heavenly host. This kind of persuasion by association is something to which the techniques of subliminal projection seem to lend themselves particularly well. In other words, you're predisposed to a certain thing, and today every people are so well understood and studied and studied and studied over and over again. Uh, even the changes in the culture are constantly given to you and studied too to see how they really take effect. Uh, and so uh, the advertisers who, who market for big corporations and products also work for governments to uh, work on us all the time. Uh, and two, the military-industrial complexes, they are heavily involved in all of these areas. So it says here, in a series of experiments carried out at New York University under the auspices of the, the National Institution of Health, it was found that a person's feelings about some consciously seen image could be modified by associating it on the subconscious level with another image or, better still, with value-bearing words. Now, it's interesting that because today uh, it's gone even further with neuroscience and neurolinguistics. We just call it one time psycholingual techniques as well. Uh, you'll find that great hypnotists like Brown, I think it's Derek Brown in Britain, uh, use uh, these techniques too. If you watch how he works on his subjects, 
he he spaces certain words, and they're always particular words, often highly symbolic words too. In other words, they create images in the mind. And he also, as he's saying certain things, uh, use gestures of his body and his hands. You'll see Obama doing it too, because he was trained for his speeches and his techniques as well. With Obama, he'll say something in a measured pace. And he's, he's a good reader. You see, all these politicians do today is, is read what their script writers write for them. And they match it with the gestures. And so he, when he mentions certain other political uh, rivals' names, he'll, have, he'll space it in a certain way, a slightly turn with his arm, uh, a crooch, you might say, across his chest. And he'll, he'll do almost a karate chop movement with his hand. That, that, that literally means to cut someone off. This is a bad person, cut them off. Uh, many gestures like that. It's a perfected science today. So you're being constantly manipulated by all, everything you watch today. Uh, that nothing is spontaneous. Nothing comes out of the person's mouth in, in a high level of power uh, without uh, being uh, really rehearsed and written for them by specialists. And neurolinguistics is very important. So it talks about value-bearing words. That's when associated on the subconscious level with the word happy, a blank expressionless face would seem to the observer to smile, to look friendly, amiable, and outgoing. So again, you, regardless of what you're actually seeing, they can also change it by what you're hearing, just by associating it with word association, happy. So you, you, you'll subconsciously, uh, in your mind, put on a happier face than the glum one that you see. When the same face was associated also on the subconscious level with the word angry, it took on a forbidding expression and seemed to the observer to have become hostile and disagreeable. They, they use these techniques too in the media when they're trying to blacken a person's name or a group's name. Uh, you'll see the same kind of thing happening. And by the way that they're, they're saying something and you actually see the little clips will give you of a person or, or the people involved, uh, you're immediately given the opinion you're supposed to have off them because your mind will follow the words too, written by the, the space tone of the person giving it to your personal authority. So he goes on to say here, to a group of young women, it also seemed to uh, become very masculine if a person got angry, whereas when it was associated with, uh, with happy, they saw their faces belonging to a member of their own sex, their own gender. Fathers and husbands, please take notices. For the commercial and political propagandist, these findings, it's obvious, are highly significant. If he can put his victims into a state of abnormally, abnormally high suggestibility, if he can show them while they're uh, in that state the thing, the person, or through the symbol, the cause he has to sell, and if on the subconscious level he can associate this thing, associate this with a person or a symbol with some kind of value-bearing word or image, he may be able to modify their feelings of, of what he's doing. It should be possible, according to an enterprising commercial group in New Orleans, to enhance entertainment value of films and television plays by using this technique. This is, remember, an old book, and it's way more advanced today. I've also mentioned, too, that in one of the Latin American countries, that was Brazil, uh, they come out, uh, the big companies that were uh, designing all the soap operas, and they were getting paid by the government to insert all things like uh, contraception and uh, needing abortion and so on, like that, changing the people's opinions of things through the dramas. And, and they, they talked about how effective it had been because they were taking notes of the increase in abortions, etc., etc. Uh, and it works awfully well. It says here that uh, 
People like to feel strong emotions when you're being entertained. Naturally, you do. In fact, the better the, the entertainer or actor, uh, the, the more you're going to like them. That, that's why it's hard to find good actors today. They're like peas in a pod. Hollywood decides what's a good actor. And they'll look much the same. Uh, they're facially uh, male or female, doesn't matter. And uh, they don't really have uh, the great character acting abilities of the uh, actors of the past. For example, in the film version of A Farewell to Arms, the death of the heroine in childbirth might be made even more distressing than, than it already is by subliminally flashing upon the screen again and again during the playing of the scene such ominous words as pain, blood, and death. Consciously, the words wouldn't be seen, uh, but she goes on to say that their effect upon the subconscious mind might be very great, and these effects might powerfully reinforce the emotions evoked on the conscious level by the acting and the dialogue. If, as seems pretty certain, subliminal projections can consistently intensify the emotions felt by moviegoers, the motion picture industry may yet be saved from bankruptcy. That is, if the producers of television plays don't get there first. It goes on to say that, in light of what has been said about persuasion by association and enhancements of emotions by subliminal suggestion, let's try to imagine what the political meeting of tomorrow will be like. This is written, remember, in 1959. The candidate, if there's still a question of candidates, because eventually we, we do know, he already knew then that uh, the Club of Rome, uh, that came along a bit later, uh, and others uh, had already decided that, um, that the precursor of the Club of Rome had decided, the same bunch, by the way, uh, that uh, democracy wouldn't work and they'd have to be in authoritarian systems. That's what we have under the guise of war on terrorism, etc. It's all behavior modification. But anyway, you're going to say that if there's no candidates, it says, uh, or the appointed representative of the ruling oligarchy, and that's more or less what we have today, will make his speech for all to hear. Meanwhile, the, the, the tachistoscopes, the whispering and squeaking machines, the projectors are of images so dim that only the subconscious mind can respond to them, will be reinforcing what he says by systematically associating the person and his cause with positively cha- charged words and hallowed images. That's what, what you really have today, especially it's great to watch the ones in the U.S., and by strabonically injecting negatively charged words and odious symbols wherever he mentions the enemies of the state or the party. That's, that's a perfected technique today. Very few folk notice it. I study everything I see. I always have. This is in the United States, brief flashes of Abraham Lincoln. And, the, and it's true enough, government by the people, he says the words government by the people will be projected upon the rostrum. As long as you put the right symbols in there, it has the desired effect on the people that are already conditioned for it. Preconditioned. In Russia, the speaker will, of course, isn't it during this, the Cold War, uh, in Russia it would be associated with the glimpses of Lenin with the, the words people's democracy. Democracy was much a fairly recent term, by the way, used by governments, especially by the US, a much more recent term, uh, when it's supposed to be a republic. The people have forgotten all about it. But it's been merged with this, the ex-Soviet system to create the new uh, system for the future. And that's, of course, what the Rees Commission came out with in the U.S., the commission that was ordered by the Congress to, to go into the, the foundations and why they were, they were pushing all the, the far-left uh, movements inside, and funding them inside the U.S. and even organizing them and training them. And these big uh, foundations, charitable foundations, the biggest ones, uh, actually told the Rees Commission guys at the top, Norman Dodds was one of them. Their, their orders came from the White House, 
and managed to maintain, but regardless of the, there wasn't, there was apparently, apparently in control of the White House, it was just went on and on, and their job was to merge that of the Soviet system with that of the US until basically it was seamless, and that's what's happened since then. Huxley knew this, of course. But it said, um, because, and it's, it's interesting here, it says, because this is safe in the future, in 1959, we can afford to smile. 10 or 20 years from now, we'll probably be seen uh, seem a good deal less amusing. For what's now merely science fiction will have become everyday political fact. It's way beyond all that, too. Pozzo was one of the portents which, when writing Brave New World, I'd somehow overlooked. There's no reference in my fable to subliminal projection. It's a mistake of omission which, if I were to rewrite the book today, I should most certainly correct. And remember, too, that it's way beyond what he's telling you here, because uh, the Pentagon even came out a few years ago, and I read it from their own papers, that they had different types of, they called it viruses, an interesting term, because they could project certain, um, through the pixels and the, and the groups of pixels on the screen and colors and so on, they could, they could actually affect the way that your brain uh, will, will literally work. They could trigger um, certain chemicals to turn off or on and so on. And they even said they could uh, do such a thing as just, just by influencing the brain in this way, give you a heart attack if need be. It's quite fascinating stuff. And I really knew when the big push came on for high definition and when governments ordered uh, the companies to produce these high definition TV sets, that was part of it. It was a very important part for massive, more perfected control purposes. Uh, Everyone now is completely hypnotized by television, the ones who have these big screens with the high pixel rate and so on. High definition. Now, Huxley, he talks as well about hypnopedia. It was a big thing at one time. You still find a lot of uh, partial quackery involved in hypnopedia, where by listening to your tapes in your sleep, uh, the idea was it could teach you anything. And of course, the the, the great uh, the slick uh, salesman could convince anyone that could cure anything during your sleep and make you learn anything, like foreign languages, everything, uh, when you're absolutely asleep. Uh, it, such techniques only work on certain people, need to a very minimal extent, actually. But now with electronic manipulation, even during your sleep, they can certainly work. And I mean direct to, to your skull, basically, inside your head. But uh, back then, as I say, they hadn't got into that much at all, at least not openly. They had definitely gone into it, I should say, but they hadn't done it openly at all. But it says here, in the Brave New World, in the fictional version, it says, no citizen belonging to the lower caste ever gave any trouble. Well, number one, they were specially bred, remember, uh, genetically uh, bred, uh, to be uh, the IQ level for the particular job they had in mind. So those with the lower repetitive jobs uh, were, were much lower down in the caste system and the intellect system. And they were given lots of entertainment regardless. But um, he said that, uh, why, why wouldn't they rebel? Because or cause trouble. Because from the moment they could speak and understand what was said to him, every lower caste child was exposed to endlessly repeated suggestions, night after night, during the hours of drowsiness and sleep. As I say, just, just change this over to electronic stimulation directly to, into your head. It says, these suggestions were like drops of liquid sealing wax, drops that adhere and crust incorporate themselves with what they fall on, till finally the rock is all one scarlet blob. 
till at last the child's mind is these suggestions and the sum of these suggestions is the child's mind. And as I say, remember that's all done at school too today. That's imperative in every country for, for control purposes over the, the people. When I say the people, it's really for all. They see all. See, the greatest fear of governments is the individual. So they try to create you all the same, standardize you all to be, to be the same. It says, not the child's mind only, the adult's mind too, all his life long. Uh, the mind that uh, judges and desires and decides made up of these suggestions. But these suggestions are our suggestions. Suggestions, f- they're not ours, they're from the state, he says. To date, as far as I know, hypnopedic suggestions have been given by no state more uh, formidable than uh, the Tulare County. And the nature of uh, Tulare's hypnopedic suggestions to lawbreakers is unexceptionable. That was a prison experiment. He says, if only only all of us and not only the inmates of the Woodland Road camp could be effectively filled during the sleep with love and compassion for all, no, it's not the message conveyed by the inspirational whisper that uh, one objects to. Uh, It is the principle of sleep teaching by governmental agencies. It is hypnopedia, the sort of instrument that officials delegated to exercise authority in a democratic society ought to be allowed to use at their discretion. In the present instance, they are using it only on volunteers and with the best intentions, that's way by them. But there is no guarantee that in other cases the intentions will be good or the indoctrination on a voluntary basis. Today it's not voluntary at all. Since any law or social arrangement which makes it possible for officials to be led into temptation is bad. Any law or arrangement which preserves them from being tempted to abuse their delegated power for their own advantage or for the benefit of the state or of some political, economic or ecclesiastical organization is good. Um, Hypnopedia, if it's effective, would be a tremendously powerful instrument in the hands of anyone in a position to impose suggestions upon a captive audience. A democratic society is a society dedicated to the proposition that power is often abused and should therefore be entrusted to officials only in limited amounts and for limited periods of time. Now you're in a a state of perpetual war under the guise of terrorism. And and you're going to live your whole... Generations will live lives in this now. It's never going to go away. Everything's changed. And it's not simple hypnopedia is used. It's directly to your skull because you're in a field of Wi-Fi. And these, these techniques have not been overlooked by any means, uh, and they've been well exploited, and they're getting better all the time. We're all enveloped in this massive field now of electronic uh, impulses that did not occur in nature. No governments, especially today, would ever fail to use or abuse these powers. Always remember that. so important to understand that part. What's interesting, too, about what he was talking about back in 1959 is that in, the con- in this context, an article by Theodore X. Barber called Sleep and Hypnosis, which appeared in the Journal of Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis for October 1956, is most enlightening. Mr. Barber points out there is a significant difference between light sleep and deep sleep. In deep sleep, the electroencephalograph records no alpha waves. In light sleep, alpha waves make their appearance. In this respect, light sleep is closer to uh, the awakening and hypnotic states, in both of which uh, alpha waves are present than it is to deep sleep. A loud noise will cause a person in deep sleep to awaken. Uh, 
A less violent uh, stimulus will not arouse him, but will cause the reappearance of alpha waves. Deep sleep has given place for the time being to light sleep. So a person in deep sleep is unsuggestible. But when subjects in light sleep are given suggestions, they will respond to them. Mr. Barber found in the same way that they respond to suggestions when they're hypno- in a hypnotic trance. And that's interesting too, because remember that with the heavy aerial spraying and all the electromagnetic waves that they're using along with it sometimes, you'll find that uh, people report all kinds of uh, increase in sleeplessness and so on. In other words, you're closer to a different sleep state. And uh, um, if you're closer to the awakening state, uh, then any electronically uh, stimulated suggestions uh, will definitely have more effect upon you too. And I mean straight into your skull, basically, or into your brain through uh, the, the means they, they really have been working on for an awful long time. An awful long time. Because remember, we're made up of, of nerves and nerve endings and neurons and so on. And they all have electrical currents, minute ones, tiny electrical currents, but within certain frequency ranges for different tissues. And they know it, them all exactly now. And they can send them out exactly to turn switches on and off, basically, in your brain. And I've run over this in the past before, in other talks. Since many of the earlier investigators of hypnosis have made similar experiments, and his classical history, practice, and theory of hypnotism, first published in 1903, Milne Bramwell records that many authorities claim to have changed natural sleep into hypnotic sleep. According to Witterstrand, it is often very easy to put oneself on rapport with sleeping persons, especially children. Witterstrand thinks this method of inducing hypnosis is much practical, has much practical value and claims to have often used it successfully. He cites that many other experienced hypnotists, including such eminent authorities as, as uh, Brenheim, Moll and Forall, uh, to the same effect. Today, an experimenter would not speak of changing natu- uh, natural into hypnotic sleep. All he's prepared to say is that the light sleep, as opposed to deep sleep without alpha waves, is a state in which many subjects will accept suggestions as readily as they do when under hypnosis. For example, after being told when lightly asleep that they will wake up in a little while, feeling extremely thirsty, many subjects will duly wake up with a dry throat and craving for water. The cortex may be too inactive to, to think straight, but it's alert enough to respond to suggestions and to pass them on to the autonomic nervous system. And this is old stuff. They're way beyond all of this today. But they use all of this knowledge in the present day as well, even when it's electronically stimulated. As we've already seen, the well-known uh, Swedish uh, phys- physician and experimenter Witterstrand uh, was especially successful in the hypnotic treatment of sleeping children. In our day, Witterstrand's methods are followed by a number of pediatricians who instruct young mothers in the art of help- giving helpful suggestions to their children during the hours of light sleep. But this kind of hypnopedia, children's can be cured of bedwetting, nail biting, and so on. So he claims, anyway, here. But so they're way beyond all that today. For we'd be dictator, the, the morale of all of this is plain. Under plain conditions, hypnopedia actually works, works it would seem about as well as hypnosis. Most of the things that can be done with and to a person in hypnotic trance can be done with and to a person in light sleep. Verbal suggestions can be passed through the somnolent cortex of the midbrain, the midbrain stem, and the autonomic nervous system. If these suggestions are well-conceived and frequently repeated, 
the bodily functions of the sleeper can be improved for or interfered with. New patterns of feeling can be installed. The old ones modified. Post-hypnotic commands can be given. Slogans, formulas, and trigger words deeply ingrained in the person's memory. Children are better hypnopedic subjects than adults, and the would-be dictator will take full advantage of that fact. Now remember, uh, as I say, your, your later propagandic uh, indoctrination will not work properly unless the, the, the basic settings for them to take have been instilled in childhood uh, through early education. And that's why it was so important to get people into early education and even kindergarten and so on. The earlier, the better. And the earlier, in fact, uh, when the government says we're making them more sociable to each other, more social, but by, by getting them to mix with each other at a very young age, uh, governments really behind it all want you, them all to be the same. The same, the standardization is what they mean. And already to, to take the same propaganda of the future instantly without question, so they'll all have the same opinions about things. In other words, that their indoctrinations are working and their updates are working properly on them. That's what it's all about. Whatever thing is, anything is said to you from authority figures at the top, and, and it's put through by law, it's mandated by law, be very wary. Always question things. Because there's always a good reason, that's the one that you're given, and then there's a the real reason which you're never given. But there's always a real reason. Never forget that. People forget these things all the time, but it's imperative you remember these things. What's interesting, too, is that Huxley touches on another part between the difference of the indoctrination of the general public, that's now called civilians, by the way, and the politicians and authority figures that run us all. And he touches on that, too. He says um, that children of nursery school and kindergarten age will be treated to hypnopedic suggestions during their afternoon, afternoon nap. See, today it's, it can much, it's much more advanced. In fact, they don't need to have tape recorders playing or anything else. It's electronically done. For older children, particularly the children of party members, the boys and girls who will, who will grow up to be leaders, administrators and teachers, there will be boarding schools in which an excellent daytime education will be supplemented by nightly sleep teaching. In the case of adults, special attention will be paid to the sick. As Pavlov demonstrated many years ago, strong-minded and resistant dogs become completely suggestible after an operation or when suffering from some debilitating illness. Understand why all these guys existed in the past. It wasn't because they were simply curious. They were getting well paid by those in control and those who want control for the future, including Pavlov. Our dictator will therefore see that every hospital ward is wired for sound. Because true, well, that's how cults work too, remember. Uh, a person who is feeling lonely uh, and lost in the world and hopeless is completely vulnerable to the slick uh, guys out there. And cult leaders understand this perfectly well. Uh, so no matter of the condition or how they're dressed or whatever it is, uh, they get love-bombed. When they walk into one of these cults brought in, and everyone's right over them as though they're special. They're, oh, they're special. And they feel that for the first time they're wanted by people and needed and, and loved by everybody. Complete love-bombing. But then comes the rules, and they go along with them because it's, they're, getting, they're getting a benefit from the love-bombing acceptance, 
uh, and the growth state that you get very little sleep or you get up very early in the morning and you work hard during the day and so on and only a certain amount of caloric intake to get you weak. So the suggestions take, take more uh, powerfully control, powerful control over you much more easily. It's very hard to break away afterwards. These things are perfectly well understood by all government authorities at the top, the specialists who work for them. Now that's all I have time for today, unfortunately. I'm, I'm putting in my uh, well pump right now. And, uh, uh, time's against me, the weather's against me, and finances are always against me, actually. But uh, I should remind you too before I go off that uh, it's, it's good if you can donate once in a while for, to me too, more regularly if possible, because it doesn't matter how much, because it helps to t- help me tick over. I don't uh, sell advertising. I don't have shares in all the products that are going to cure you or make you live forever or, or, or stop you from getting irradiated to death or whatever it happens to be. I'm not into the slickster chronology, as I call it. I simply give you information. And many folk have used this. Many hosts use this information too. Uh, other ones put it into their books form as well. And I get nothing back from them either. But anyway, it's, uh, it's good if you can help me out too because I'm trying to help you out. And if nothing else, another generation to take over and carry this kind of light forward uh, as we get increasingly dark. Because that's what's happening today. We're going to a darkened age of total control. And it's so perfected that the public think they're free. Even when they're losing rights all the time, they think it's free. And they accept every part of the slavery uh, by the benefits they see getting them getting from it. They accept being tracked and traced everywhere with their cell phones because of the fun they can have on the phone. It's rather sad, isn't it? Uh, who would have thought a long time ago that they'd give up everything, including something that people had rebelled and, and, and fought and had revolutions for in the past, for freedom, personal freedom and safety and security, which which was independence from authorities, and they're giving it all back again so easily through entertainment and, and fun. It's so convenient, isn't it? So if you can help me out financially, I'd really appreciate it because things cost a lot here. With all these sites up and I pay for the big satellite feed. It's more expensive than cable, way more expensive. And um, I know for a fact through the emails, etc., that people all over the planet um, are happy with the information I'm putting out and using the information too. So it'd be good to get some some kind of uh, reward back to help me take along and at least eat a bit better than I already am. So thanks for listening in. And from Hamish myself, Hamish, remember, is my dog in Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God, or your God's school with you.